here in this space, we continue in, uh, in our sermon series, uh, first lo- uh, in our annual theme, First Love, in our sermon series, How I Met the Father. I got to admit, this has been one of my favorite series in, in covenant history because it's given space, it's given opportunity for people to share their testimony and to root it in Scripture in such a potent and powerful way that it invites us to, to consider our own testimony, our own stories of how we encountered God the Father in our lives and the saving grace of Jesus. And then to begin to search the Scriptures ourselves and to consider, well, well, how, how's my testimony rooted in God's Word? How's God, God's Word reflected in my life? And, and how would I share that story? I hope you felt that prompting as each and every week there's been someone new Come and share this testimony, How I Met the Father. And if you have, I invite you to continue searching that out and to continue developing that because that is your story and that is how you are a witness for Jesus Christ according to the scriptures in Acts 1.8. Today, uh, Peyton is going to lead us in his witness and his testimony. It's rooted in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14, as we together hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and God, we, uh, we praise you. We praise you with full hearts, because, Father, we know where two or more gathered that your spirit is with us. And Father, with a room this full, man, the Holy Spirit must be moving this morning. So God, we thank you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this space and this time. And God, I ask that you would just work through me this morning. That Father, you would bind my tongue, that it would be yours and not my own, that the words and the message given here today would be pleasing to your heart. And Father, I know that uh, this is a, a fun day for all of us, God. We all are looking forward to wings and Super Bowl and everything else to this, but Father, I ask during this time that, God, you would close off our minds the outside pulls of this world, that, Father, we would focus in the here and now, that, God, we would hear something that would open our hearts to you in a new way, that, God, these words, whether they are new for the first time or whether they've been heard hundreds of times, that, God, they would be presenting to our hearts and written on them in a new way. So, Father, we go forth in this place. We can be lampstands carrying your light into this dark world. We love you, God. We love you for all that you do and all that you are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Oh, come on. I'm preaching a little churches that have like 40 people and they're louder than that. Come on. Good morning, church. Good morning. There we go. That's a little bit better. We'll try it again before the end of this. 
Well, if you have not, uh, if I have had not, uh, we're going to start right there. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Peyton Ruddick, and I am the head pastor at two churches out in Waller County, Texas. Uh, if you don't know where that is, we're about 30 minutes and 45 minutes away from here, but uh, Macedonia Methodist and New Hope Methodist churches. And prior to that, I was the youth pastor here, or youth director here at uh, Covenant for a little over five years. Um, and if you haven't got the theme this morning, the theme is me. It's all about me this morning. Uh, we're celebrating me. I'm standing up here preaching. I'm giving my testimony. It's all about me. And if you know anything about me, you know that that is making me incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Jason did that on purpose because I love giving him a hard time. And this is like his way of just ending it on a winning note, as Jason likes to win. Um, but in all honesty, it is, uh, it's a pleasure to be back here. I know when I left, um, when it was announced, it was kind of like, a, oh, he left in the middle of the night thing. So it was, uh, it was awesome that Jason and the team worked to try and get me back one more time at least, hopefully, maybe again sooner or later, um, to come and preach and come and say hi and come, uh, come give the word one more time. Um, and uh, since this is about me this morning, I get to kind of brag a little bit, brag a little bit, because I don't brag often, but I do, I am proud of this one. So... Uh, when we were coming up with the annual theme this year, I kind of had this moment in Colorado that was given to me, this idea of first love. Um, and it carried through, and I kind of presented it to the group while we were doing worship planning, and everyone just latched onto it. And I was like, awesome, perfect. That went over just how I was hoping. And then we were like, all right, well, how are we going to kick it off? And someone said, well, let's do, uh, let's do testimonies. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, I was like, all right, first love, first love. What comes to my head when I think of first love? And I am a, a little bit of a romantic, um, a little bit of a cheesy romantic. And I was like, all right, well, first love, falling in love. And I was like, well, um, what is it like to fall in love with my wife? What was that like? And so for me, I'm a very visual person. I started like picturing things running through my head, different moments of me kind of falling in love with her throughout the, the years that we were together before we got married. And uh, I had also been watching a show at the time called How I Met Your Mother. And so in my head, I had this, and no, that is not a church-appropriate show, but... <laughs> Um, but it get, did give us an incredible title, uh, and I had this idea, and so I said, Jason, what if we did Not How I Met Your Mother, because the show is about Ted, and it kind of tells you the series of stories about how supposedly he was building up to be able to meet his wife, and then meeting his wife and, and the mother of his children, and uh, so it's kind of a series of love stories, for the most part, because Ted is a hopeless, sappy romantic, just like myself, which is probably why I enjoy the show, but I was like, Jason, what if we did how I met the father instead of how I met your mother. And he was like, that's perfect. And it's been an awesome series. Uh, I don't have six preachers at my churches. It's me, 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 and me. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird only having to get up here and preach today. I've been having to do announcements and all this stuff all by myself. So I feel a little, uh, a little pampered this morning. But um, yeah, I, I had to come up with an idea, and it's been a very giving series for me because we started diving into the testimonies of people from the Bible. So we looked at the testimonies of how Jacob met the father and Moses and Saul, and it's been this really cool study for me to kind of dive into and to look at these stories that we've, we've kind of learned throughout our, our Sunday school and growing up in the church, and we know the stories of Moses, but looking at them through this like specific lens of how they came to know God better has been a really cool series for me. And uh, then I realized that I was going to have to give my own testimony sooner or later. And I can come up with these, this great idea, this great title, but when it comes down to giving my own testimony, uh, it's a little bit harder for me to do. Uh, it's harder for me to do because for the longest time, I thought my testimony was not really 
worth anything. I thought a testimony had to be this big, grand, coming to Jesus moment, right? Like this bottom top, or this rock bottom to mountaintop moment and this like instantaneous click of like where I turned from drugs or I turned from crime or I turned from this, that, and the other to God. And uh, I didn't have that in my life. And so I was like, well, my testimony doesn't really need to be told. And then I did a, a photography project, um, which actually is where the portrait of me came from. I did this, this photography project called Heroes on White. And it was the whole point of it was telling stories of anybody and everyone because I realized that everybody is a hero to somebody. Whether you know it or not, you have somebody that looks up to you, has looked up to you, will look up to you. It's inevitable. In the same way, everybody's testimony, whether subtle or incredibly powerful and out there and instantaneous and overwhelming, is important to somebody because everyone walks through different tracks of life. And so this is my testimony. I grew up in the Methodist church. And when I say I grew up in the Methodist church, I don't mean that like I, my parents chose Methodism when I was a kid. I mean, my grandfather did genealogy and y'all, my family like moved with the Methodist movement across from England, moved with the Methodist movement and the circuit riders down through the South, ended up in Texarkana. I had so much Wesleyan theology in my blood, I never had a chance. Like I, <laughs> it was just, it was destined. And uh, fortunately I grew up, made decisions for myself, it ended up working out. So I, I've never really known a time where I didn't have God in my life. I've always known Jesus. I've always known God. I've been raised in the church. I didn't have this sudden come to Jesus moment, this road to Damascus, Paul, or Saul becomes Paul kind of moment. And so I had to look through my life and say, well, like, what, what was a big change for me? And there was one moment that really came to me, and it was my junior year in high school. And so my junior year in high school uh, was big. It's big for everybody because, right, you're like starting to plan for, you have to start thinking about college. Yep, I got Ella back there nodding at me. She's like, I'm going through this. I know what's up. I'm a youth pastor. I still look for the young people. Um, and uh, I, my entire high school kind of uh, experience can be defined with one word, swimming. Like, I did everything for swimming. Don't get me wrong. Like, I was a great student, but I lived swimming. I ate, ate for swimming. I breathed swimming. I, I did everything for swimming. That's all that mattered to me. If I was not doing schoolwork, I was swimming. And when I was doing schoolwork, I was typically thinking about swimming. I hung out with swimmers. Like, we all have that thing that kind of defines high school for us. And for me, it was very much swimming. And I had never swam before high school. I actually went and uh, went to the swim team practice because I was getting ready for track. And my mom told me that I should do swimming to, to try and train through the, the winter for track because I lived in Iowa. We don't have, uh, what's, what's it today? 54 degree weather in February. We have minus five degree weather in February. So you have to do stuff indoors. And so my mom said swimming. And I went to my first uh, open water swim workout. And my swim coach told my parents later on that he thought I was going to drown. So that was where I started from. And, uh, but I'm a pretty determined guy. I, I like to win. I'm competitive. And I'm incredibly stubborn and hard-headed. And so I didn't give up. And what I had going for me was, first of all, gigantic hands. So I have paddles and uh, a stubbornness that didn't let me quit. And so I worked my butt off, and through the course of high school, I went from being someone who um, my swim coach thought was gonna drown to being at a pretty high level, to looking at getting uh, offers from Yale and Iowa and Minnesota State and these different schools that wanted me to come swim. And growing up in Marshtown, Iowa, we don't have like club swimming year round. 
So we don't have opportunities to be seen by these coaches other than our state high school swim meet. Like that is the big swim meet in Iowa. And my junior year is kind of that big one because it sets you up for, you know, your times for colleges to make determinations of what they're going to offer you going into your senior year. And so state swim meet was incredibly important for me. In my junior year, we had an incredible team. We were awesome. Um, And I was good. And I was fast. And we got to the end of the year, and we were poised to win the 4 by 100 freestyle relay, which I was a part of. Like, we had gotten to third at our district qualifying, but we were kind of the underdog favorites to win it because Marshalltown was known for huge time drops at state. And so our huge time drops come because you swim throughout training, and there's probably some swimmers out here who know this, you swim tons and tons of yards, thousands and thousands and thousands of yards. From Christmas all the way to spring break, we're, we're averaging like 12,000 to 14,000 yards a day. That's a lot of yards. <laughs> For any of y'all who don't know swimming, one time down the pool is 25 yards. So that's a lot of back and forth and a lot of looking at tiles and lane lines. And um, you do all this work and then you get to the end of the year and you do what's called a taper. So you start like pulling back and not swimming as much and your, your muscles are used to creating all this energy. And so you start storing up this potential energy. And you get to state swimming day and you feel like a knife through water. Like it is beautiful. I cannot describe to you how cool it is to feel so fast in the water. And uh, my junior year, we're all kind of pent up, built up. There's all this pressure, all this excitement mounting. We're all pumped. And uh, Thursday night, I go to bed and I wake up at about 1130 at night throwing up. And not like a little throw up, like violently ill kind of thing. Um, and I was like, all right, maybe it's just a one-time thing. It was not a one-time thing. I had food poisoning or norovirus or something, and it destroyed me all Thursday night and Friday morning. And I was still determined I was going to try and swim. And uh, so I talked to my mom, and I kept telling her, no, no, I'm fine. I'll be fine. Like, every time I threw up, I was like, that was it. That was it. I'm good. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to swim. And uh, so they loaded me up into a car, took me to the doctor's office, and uh, Gave me a shot in the butt with some kind of antinautical, I've said butt twice while I've been preaching here. I apologize, everybody. Um, but they gave me a shot in the posterior, and I, uh, it was like an anti-nausea medication or something. And they threw me back in the car, and that was the last time I threw up was out in front of the doctor's office. I do remember that. But the rest of it gets a little sketchy. Like, I don't remember a whole lot. That's how ill I was. But uh, they took me up to the high school, and you had to be at the high school for at least 30 minutes in order to be eligible for Saturday games and swim meets. So they literally threw me into a dark closet on the pool deck, and I sat on a chair in there for 45 minutes, and then someone came and collected me out, and I went back out and loaded up in the car, and my mom is a saint because she loaded me into the car sick. She loaded all my gear into the car for swimming. She loaded my brother into the car. At this point, my dad was now throwing up, and she loaded him into the car too and got us all to Iowa City somehow into a hotel room. And I think she wanted to collapse and say, done. Someone else take over. Um, but we made it. And I swam, and, um, you know, I didn't do great. I didn't blow up. I didn't, uh, like, fall apart. I didn't swim slow. I swam about flat. I swam what I had been swimming. But I also didn't have the meat that I thought I was going to have. And I can stand here and I can honestly tell you I don't remember much from that swim meet because I was that sick. And uh, I've asked my swim coach many times since then because he's a friend of mine if he ever regretted it, leaving me into the relay. 
And uh, he said no. And he had the opportunity to. He could have pulled me out and he could have put in one of our backups. And he never did. And I've never had anyone tell me that it was my fault, but I've always kind of carried this feeling of shame, of guilt. We got third. You know, we still placed on the podium and it was still a big deal and it was still one of the first podium finishes for anyone from Marshalltown ever, any relay team from Marshalltown ever. So it was still a big deal, but I felt devastated. And I was crushed and I was in a bad place and I felt like it was all my fault, that I had worked so hard. I had skipped football season to swim all the way through football. I had skipped mission trips. I had skipped youth camps. I had skipped everything to swim. I went on a swim camp that summer. I killed myself for that meet that future that I wanted. And it all came falling apart because I started throwing up on a Thursday night. So that was Saturday. And Sunday morning rolls around. My parents, you know, we were 8 a.m.ers. And so we went to the 8 a.m. service every week or 8.30 service, I think. And uh, my mom's nodding at me like, hey, we weren't up at 8. That would have been too early. This church, you know, 10 o'clock, we're like, eh, I don't know about that. Maybe 10.30. Um, so, so yeah, we were 8.30. And uh, she woke me up and she said, hey, we're going to church. And I did not want to go. I was not feeling, feeling very churchy on Sunday morning after that. She said, no, we need to go to church. So we went to church, and we're sitting at the Ruddock Pew, and uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We had the Ruddock Pew, and the Ruddock Pew has been a Ruddock Pew for like 20 years. So when I say Ruddock Pew, everyone that goes to that church will still like sitting on the floor, look up to the balcony on the right-hand side, and say, that's where the Ruddocks sit. And uh, so not only that, but we're now, I'm on display for everyone, because we sat front row on the balcony, midway down. And uh, it's a very Wesleyan church, so everyone can see everyone. That's the way Wesley wanted it. No one could hide their eyes from the pastor. And uh, I had to sit there, and I was devastated. And I was looking out, and I could see people around the town, and I just felt shame. It was in a really dark place. And I was questioning, you know, why would God do this to me? Why, why you know, I've been a Christian. Why, why did this happen? I kind of went into that, that kind of pitiful, that self-pity kind of place. And uh, I was going through the motions all morning, and then the sermon started. And I'll never forget this because it was one of those moments that's really weird. Like, on top of it being an important moment in my life, it was weird because uh, the pastor was halfway through the sermon. And I remember my mom reaching forward to the pew in front of us. Yes, we had pews for little ones that have never been in a church. Like, there's these built-in things, yeah, that are wooden. And on the back of them, you have hymnals, not a hymnal. Where's Aiden? Not a hymnal. It's a hymnal. And... Uh, you had hymnals and Bibles, and so she reached for it and she grabbed the Bible, and you know, I remember thinking to myself, like, why is my mom grabbing the Bible halfway through the sermon? Is she like fact-checking the pastor or something here? And she pulled the Bible out, she turned it open to Jeremiah 29, 11. And she turned it to 29, 11, and I don't know if she knew I was gonna keep reading. I don't know what prompted her to do that in that moment. The only thing I can say is that the Holy Spirit works in incredible ways. Because she handed me the Bible, and I read Jeremiah 29, 11, and I kept reading all the way through 14, and I wept. Sitting there on the front row, which everyone to see me as a 17-year-old boy, I broke down and started crying. And I cried because um, a specific word stood out to me. And it's not the words you typically think of when you think of 29.11. You know, when we think of 29.11, it's one of the most overused scriptures whenever we're trying to cheer somebody up. For those that didn't hear it this morning, I'll read it again. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So a lot of times we focus on the, the hope and the future and the no harm and see you prosper. But the word that stood out to me in that moment was the word plans. It was the word plans because I had grown up 
knowing God. I'd grown up knowing God as an almighty father. Like if we put it in terms of, of the Apostles' Creed, you know, we say father, almighty, and creator when we're describing God. And I knew God is almighty. He was the one that I was going to do enough good or enough bad that at some point in time in my life, in the future, I was going to be judged. And if I did enough good or enough bad, I was going to get a ticket one way or the other, either up or down, right? That was the way I saw God, this very liturgical, or not liturgical, very legalistic, judgmental, judicial kind of format. And in reading that scripture, I saw plans and I realized that God didn't have a single plan for me. He didn't have a plan that if I stuck to it enough, I got enough check marks on the good list. And when I deviated, I got check marks on the bad list. He was a God who had plans for me. Not as in he had planned everything out and I just had to walk through it because I still believe in free will. But plans for me in terms of no matter what happened, if I deviated from the plan he gave me, he wasn't just gonna say, well, bye. He was gonna follow me down that path. And he was gonna give me another plan, another plan back to him. He doesn't give us one determined path that we either follow or don't follow. He follows us, he follows us down whatever path we decide to go on. And if it's towards him, he rejoices. And if it's further away from him, he walks right down that path with us and he gives us another path back to him. He continuously has plans for us, that he wants us to see him. He wants to know us because he's a good father. Good fathers don't say, hey, son, you've got one option. It's going to Texas A&M. Gig him. Thank you. All right, you got one, you got one plan. It's Texas A&M. From there, you get an engineering degree. If you don't do any of this, I will not love you. That's not a good father. Come on now. A good father gives plans. A good father looks at their kid and they say, hey, you messed up, but we're gonna help find you a road back. And that's what Jeremiah was telling Judah when he wrote in this. He was giving them a, a, a moment of hope. He was showing that, hey, God loves you. He has hope for you. He's going to see you prosper and he has plans for you. He's never abandoned you. If we look back through the story of Israel, God never abandoned Israel. He never said, hey, you didn't follow my plan, bye. He had the opportunity to, but he always sought a, play, a way for Israel to come back to him. He always had a new plan for Israel no matter what they chose to do. Now, just like a good parent, he still allowed them to own their consequences, right? Like I get to sit around on the park or on the uh, playground all the time, and if you know my two children, Cullen and Shane, you'll know that while I'm watching them, most of the time I'm terrified for their lives. Uh, because they are both fully boys, and they don't just see a playground, they see something that I can climb to the top of in the most harrowing way possible, the same way I did when I was a kid. And I just sit there and watch them, and I don't hover over them, I don't pull them down or tell them no, I let them do it. I may give them a, uh, hey, you might wanna watch your foot there, or watch your footing, but I let them make the decision, and I let them live with the consequences sometimes. But I'm always right there as soon as they do fall, making sure they're okay, loving them, giving them a kiss, and helping them back, giving them a new plan forward. And that was the good father that I, that I understood. That was the good father that I came to know in that moment. I didn't know God as the Almighty anymore. I understood him as a father, as a caring, loving God who wanted to walk with me no matter where I went. That he wanted to bring me back from places of captivity and restore me to fullness. And so I found myself in that pew that morning, realizing this, 
realizing how broken I had understood God. And I remember looking down and realizing that I was in a place of captivity. And it wasn't because God put me there. God didn't punish me because I focused on swimming because I made swimming an idol. Because I did. I made swimming an idol, but I don't think God punished me for that. This world's broken. People get sick. There are consequences. You know, there's things happen. We have free will. We have sickness. We have issues that happen because this world's broken. But I was in a place of self-captivity because if I had understood who God was, I wouldn't have been so down in that moment. Because, see, I thought my entire future depended on how I swam on that Saturday. But that college or where I went or who I swam for, if I swam at all, which I didn't end up swimming in college at all, all that's just a blink in the eye in terms of eternity. And if I understood who God was as a father in that moment, I wouldn't have been in a place of captivity. I would have been in a place of mourning, sure, but I wouldn't have been in a dark place of captivity. I would have understood that God restores, that God's walking with me, that even in this sickness, in this difficulty I'd just gone through, that God didn't abandon me, that he sat right beside me saying, hey, are you okay? We're gonna get through this together. I'm here for you. I'm your heavenly father. I love you. I delight in you. Come follow me. If I had understood that in my heart, I wouldn't have been in such a dark place. Because this world's broken. And as Christians, we don't get to like start following God and meet the Father and everything is magically and wonderfully perfect. It'd be nice. It'd be a lot more Christians. But that's not how it works. If anything, when we become Christians, life gets harder. I mean, look at the apostles. They were just kind of chilling out fishing. You know? I like to do some fishing. <laughs> my life's pretty easy when I'm fishing. But they were just fishing. And Jesus came along and said, follow me. And every single one of them ended up dying because of that. Being a Christian doesn't get easy, but understanding who God is, understanding how much he loves you, and understanding that he sent his son to restore us to fullness for eternity. Man, this life's just a blink of an eye. These little pains we understand, they shouldn't bring us to a place of captivity and loneliness. They should just make us understand even more how beautiful it is what we have lying in store for us. That was the moment that I met the Father. That was the moment I met the Father and came to know him and love him because I understood that he loved me and it didn't matter what I did. It didn't matter how I followed him. It didn't matter anything. He loved me no matter what. And because of that love, I've chosen to follow him anywhere, <laughs> clearly. Um, a couple months after that, I heard my first call to ministry when I was 17 years old, and uh, I let it stir in my heart, but I didn't let it go much further than that, and I didn't follow it for a very long time, and uh, I ended up doing photography, and I ended up coming here, and um, I decided to quit my job to pursue ph photography full-time, and about three days later, Jason was in my house, and he heard that rumor, and he sat up next to me, and he said, hey, what would you think about being the youth director? And because of that question, and because of the students at this church, I've gotten to step into a path and a plan that God had for me all alone that I never would have realized otherwise. So thank you, Covenant, for being my family. Thank you, students, 
being the ones that have taken me further into the gospel and further down a path than I could have ever imagined. And thank you to Jason for seeing a call in me that I had forgotten about, for helping bringing it back and restoring it in my heart, for giving me the opportunity to watch how God can work. Thank you all for inviting me back, for celebrating me today. <laughs> oh, it's never going to feel good to say. I'm trying. Um, but y'all, I want you guys to know that your testimonies matter. Whether it's something as subtle as finding a scripture in the middle of a hard time, or if it's as extreme and incredible as Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. If you heard a, a spirit that knocked you down to your feet, or knocked you down to your knees and overwhelmed you. God is a good father. He wants to know you. He wants to love you. And other people need to know that they are loved and they're all loved in their own unique way. So own your testimony. Be that hero for somebody else and let them know how much God loves them. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being you, for being so immense, so enormous that you have the ability and capacity to love each and every one of us uniquely. Not with a blanket love that you cast upon a forest, but God, with a personal love that you give to every single tree that you've ever created. Thank you for loving us, for being an eternal father. God, we cry out for you. We come to you. And we recognize you for who you are. Father, we ask that you would present yourself to those that have never come to know you before. God, we ask that you continue to stoke this energy of revival that's happening right now. And God, we ask that you revive us, you revive yourself in all of our hearts. That we would want to know you more, that we would come to know you more, that we would seek you. When we seek you, God, we would find you with our whole hearts. Because you are good. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time, I want to uh, invite you to extend your hand in blessing as uh, we celebrate the witness of our brother Peyton. Almighty God, Father, loving Father, caring Father, tender Father, who has plans for us and who has plans for Peyton. Lord, we celebrate the way in which you moved there through his mother and through your word and through a period of brokenness and shame and restored him and strengthened him and helped him to come to understand who you are and who he is in you. Lord, I thank you for his testimony, for his witness, uh, for, for the way in which you've, you've borne uh, new life in him and have used him uh, for your glory here at Covenant. Uh, Lord, I thank you for a journey from engineering to photography to student ministry to posturing. And Lord, I, I celebrate the way in which uh, lives have been touched and are being touched uh, through his ministry. Lord, I thank you for the impact that he's had on our students here at Covenant. I thank you for the impact he's had on my kids here at Covenant. And so I pray, Lord, that you would 
uh, use that powerful witness uh, at Macedonia Church and at New Hope and that lives would be touched there as well. Lord, we thank you for the gift of proclamation and witness and faithfulness and fruitfulness. And Lord, we pray a blessing upon Peyton, upon Sam, upon Cullen and Shane. Lord, thank you for their family. Uh, May they be uh, your witnesses as uh, Peyton proclaims your good news week over week. Lord, we celebrate uh, not Peyton, but we celebrate your work in him. For we see it in profound and extraordinary ways. And we give you all glory and honor in it. We lift this up in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.